0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews... And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, Yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time the Jews who lived near them, came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes.
1: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we have now, and the victory that is ours in Christ. Jesus lived for us, and he defeated death, risen again, the reigning, ruling, returning king. Work, we pray, Lord God. Right now, would you stir in our hearts a passion for Your name and Your glory? Amen. 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 So, why don't you take a seat? Let's put our hands together for the band. Wonderful to be with you guys. Uh, before we dive in today, just a quick thank you, Ben. A uh, quick uh, family update from Vanessa and myself. Um, This week, by God's grace, on the 21st of June, we are celebrating 20 years of marriage together. Yeah, I think that's a praise, that's a praise point right there. Uh, So we're going to be heading away for a couple weeks of our family holiday together, Uh, really an opportunity to give thanks to God. Was that a cheer? (laughs) Come on, yeah, let's celebrate that. Um, And uh, yeah. Love you guys, and appreciate that time to be with my family, uh, and of course, a wonderful team here who love you guys and serve you, uh, and uh, really looking forward to, to leading through uh, our teaching together. Uh, speaking of which, a big thanks to everybody uh, who has uh, voted uh, for our upcoming series, Left and Right. We had thousands of votes come in, and I can let you know that the, the topics, the issues are now locked, and uh, we look forward to sharing them with you in the coming weeks ahead. Uh, It's going to be one of the most significant teaching series in the history of City on a Hill, so can't wait to do that with you. All right, if you have a Bible handy, uh, I'd love you to come with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Grab your Bible, come with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. It was once said that everyone has a plan until someone punches them in the mouth. Everyone has a plan until someone punches them in the mouth. Does anyone know which great philosopher? Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until someone punches you in the mouth. Mike Tyson, of course, one of the great heavyweight champions, boxers of all time. What I appreciate uh, about that quote is that its application uh, extends far beyond uh, boxing itself. It really has meaning in all area of life, whether the blow comes from a loss of job, uh, that, that unexpected breakup, uh, whether it might be a bad investment, uh, a health loss, uh, life has a way, doesn't it, of punching you in the mouth. And isn't it also true that it's, it's not so much the hit that defines a person, but how you respond? Do you learn from it? Do you get back on your feet and in the ring do you keep fighting or do you throw in the towel and give up today we're continuing our series rebuild looking at the book of nehemiah uh, nehemiah uh, worked in the ancient city of susa and it's there uh, that he hears news of his home city jerusalem God's city that it's in ruins the gates have been burned, the, the walls are down, the people are in trouble and walking in shame. And so Nehemiah prays, and with the blessing of the king, he takes a long journey to Jerusalem to help, to rebuild the city. And he shares with God's people the, the heart and vision he has. And, 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 and as we saw last week, the people respond, don't they? And they say, yes, let us arise and build. And so then in chapter three, which is where we were last week, we have this stunning image of God's people, men, women, working side by side to rebuild the wall, brick by brick. They're seeing it develop before their very eyes, and it's a stunning image. They're there, God's people working together. The sun is out. God is on their side. And after 141 years of ruin, God's people are now seeing the walls go up. But then comes chapter 4. Chapter 4 is the chapter that nobody wants. It's the left jab. It's the right hook. Look with me to verse 1. Now when Sanballat uh, heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Now, who is Sanballat? Sanballat served as the governor of Samaria. Now, by way of background, the kingdom of Israel used to be one nation made up of 12 tribes. And yet around 930 B.C., uh, the kingdom split, divided into two. You had the larger northern region, which established its capital as Samaria, and then you had the smaller southern region, which kept David's capital at Jerusalem. So there's this division that took place among God's people. And if you're trying to piece this together, just consider the cultural divide for a moment between Melbourne and Sydney. Right? I've come to see that as a Melbourne, I'm, I'm wearing black today, as a Melbournean that Melburnians have a love-hate relationship with Sydney. And by that, I mean we love to hate them. Because like, like Sydney, people that's going to tell you, aren't they, about all the great things in Sydney, Harbour Bridge, what are they, the Opera House, incredible beaches, their celebrities, Home and Away, Endless Sunshine. They're forgetting that we have the Yarra. <laughs> and less people from Sydney. So... <laughs> In terms of uh, proximity between Jerusalem and Samaria, it's actually not that very far. It's about 50 kilometers of road. But as we know in life, proximity doesn't always equal intimacy, like two neighbors fighting over the back fence. Jerusalem and and, and Samaria are always at it. Uh, In fact, not long after the breakup, Samaria, uh, the Samaritans I should say, decided to to build their own temples to compete with the temple of Jerusalem. David, and at the time they established, they built, uh, made uh, two golden calves and introduced those golden calves to the people of Samaria as their new gods, much to the disgust of people in Jerusalem. Eventually, uh, the northern kingdom was kind of swallowed up by the Assyrians, and the people of Samaria became this mishmash of, of identity and religious compromise, so in the eyes of Israel they were a, a nation of sellouts and sinners. Right? So that they despise the Samaritans and the Samaritans despise the people of Israel. And here is Sanbalat, the the ruler of Samaria. He doesn't want Israel to flourish. He doesn't want to see them build their wall and establish their city. He's opposed to Nehemiah because fundamentally he is opposed to God's people, Israel. And while it's important that we recognize the the historical context of this moment in salvation history, we also now need to just step back a little bit and consider the bigger picture. Because I'm convinced that the, the rise of Nehemiah and the opposition of Sanballat and his allies represent a deeper and spiritual battle that runs all the way through the Bible, right? This is not just a battle between two nations, but two cities, the city of light and the city of darkness. So in Genesis, we meet God, and how is he introduced? He is the creator, right? God is the creator of heaven and earth, and yet in Genesis 3, we see the serpent, and what does he do? He comes to steal kill destroy he's an opponent god builds up he brings down we see this all the way through the bible we see this serpent attack truth we see his attack on the family we see his attack on freedom we see his attack on faith and indeed on worship and ultimately in jesus we see his attack on life itself right so so god is about establishing order and building the evil one is about tearing down. And please note where the opposition begins. So Sambalat says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their stone wall." How does Zambalat seek to bring down Israel? With a line of carefully composed questions. He questions their strength, calling them feeble. He questions their motives, asking if they will restore it for themselves. He questions their capacity, asking if they'll finish up in a day. He questions their vision, asking if they can revive the stones from the rubbish. And together they question their ability, pointing that even if they get the job done, it will be so weak that a fox can climb up and bring it down. Now over the years, I've come to recognize that the devil can certainly inflict... A lot of pain. He can bring violence. He can rob people of their hopes and and dash our dreams. He can tear families apart. He can divide a church. But rarely will he do that with uh, flashes of thunder and bolts of lightning. Almost always the spiritual battleground is one of identity and truth. The spiritual battleground is one of identity and truth. Your soul may belong to Jesus, but that doesn't stop the devil getting into your head and trying to win and seduce your heart. I was speaking at a um, conference, Belgrave, uh, Belgrave Heights Easter Convention, and I was uh, preaching through the book of Judges, and I was talking about Jephthah, one of one of the judges, who has this really tragic story, doesn't he? Where, you know, very uh, he was rejected in his childhood, and it, it seems that that rejection never kind of leaves him. He, he, he lives out of that hurt, and, and, and that hurt then spills out onto other people and how he hurts others. And I preached this message, and after the sermon, invited people to come for prayer, and a whole host of people came forward, just sharing some of the ways their previous hurt was impacting their life. And there was one young guy, I don't know, early 20s, who hung back right to the very end, and then he came forward, and You know, he wanted to talk to me about his relationship with his girlfriend that, you know, wasn't going so well, and he was struggling to commit, and and he wanted to to pray about that, and I'm like, okay, let's pray about that, and we talked a little bit about his family, and I, just as I was praying with him, could sense that there was something holding him back, and I just inquired a little bit about that, and inquired about what he thinks that might be, and as we were praying, like, it really felt like this spirit moment, Uh, he, he really started to open up, and... um. You know, he was, he was talking about his own family and, you know, like how much he loves his mom and loves his dad, but just kind of went on to share that, that there was a season not that long ago where they were fighting at each other and, and, and arguing over the dinner table, and it was all kind of starting to fray. And, and he said in the midst of that, um, his dad, uh, you know, turned to him and said, if, if mom and I have a divorce, it'll be your fault, just this one word, and immediately as he says this with me, he's like apologetically saying, oh, I love my dad. My dad's a great guy." But he knew that that one statement, accusation, was burrowing deep in him and tearing him apart. And and it was, you know, we we prayed, and this immediately as he shares this, these like tears gush from his eyes, and 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 you can just see, and he's opening up about how this. He's living a very self-destructive part. It's, it's impacting his relationship with his girlfriend. It's, it's impacting his relationship with his parents. And, and ultimately, it's impacting his relationship with his God. By God's grace, we're able to pray that through and, and talk about that and, and go to the Lord. But it's just one of those very small reminders how the evil one likes to work in the minds of God's people. You know, just enough, just enough truth to stick Just enough poison to pull people apart. And I know you know this, (laughs) because I'm sure you've experienced it. I'm confident there's been a time where sharp words have been directed towards you, and the, the pain of that has seeped into your veins and remained there and held you. I'm sure there's been times where you've had your motives or your character questioned, It had your stomach tightened up and it interrupted your sleep. And perhaps there's been times where you've been accused of something that you know you didn't do, but you can't shake it. It sticks to you like tar. What do we do with that? How does Nehemiah respond to these theories of arrows and accusations. Verse 4, amidst the barrage, what does he do? As he always does, he lifts up his hands and his heart towards God in prayer. He says, "'Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders.'" So what does Nehemiah do? The moment this opposition rises up, he does what we ought to always do, he prays. He takes his concern immediately to God. Now, I appreciate that if you're paying attention to that prayer, that it may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because as men and women living on the other side of the cross, we are encouraged to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies. That said, something that we can appreciate about this prayer is his desire for justice. Right? In, in the face of evil, we shouldn't remain silent. If you've been wronged, you are called to stand for justice and fight for truth. And whose battle is that? We sung about this. For Nehemiah, that battle belongs to God. Right? Notice that Nehemiah is not taking things into his own hands at this point. Repaying their evil with his accusations and his criticisms. No, 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 no. He's going to God, trusting that God will fight with him and God will fight for him. And if you're in Christ today, if you are in Christ today, I want you to know that no matter what darkness comes your way, no matter what Demonic lies are wreaking havoc in your mind and in your heart. No matter what hits you are taking, in Jesus you have the victory. Amen? In Jesus you have the victory. Now that doesn't mean you don't act, doesn't mean you don't call on the support of others. But what it does mean is that Jesus has and will always have the final word in Christ. Listen, we look forward, don't we, to a day of God's glory revealed and his and our, the body of Christ, vindication and eternal victory. Look then to verse seven. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Right? So in the midst of opposition, what happens is Nehemiah prays, and then he gets building again. And what happens to his opposition? Nothing. Ever prayed a prayer that goes nowhere or it seems to go nowhere? Right? You're in good company. Nehemiah is asking God for help, and yet here we see the enemy rising up. They're still coming. In fact, if you look closely, Sambalat's supporter base now has increased, and the intensity of their opposition has escalated. They've gone from jeering and words and accusations to now coming together with a threat to fight against all Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I said last week, didn't I, that the presence of God doesn't mean the absence of opposition. (laughs) The presence of God doesn't doesn't mean the absence of opposition. In fact, this is something of a biblical principle, if you do something good for God, you can almost guarantee opposition is going to come your way. If you do something good for God, you want to worship Him, follow Him, build with and for Him, Opposition's going to come your way. Um, take the Apostle Paul, for example. Uh, I mean, we could just go pretty much anywhere in the Bible here, but just take the Apostle Paul. Uh, pens the majority of uh, the New Testament, uh, plants churches, uh, sees thousands of people, uh, has gifts of healing and prophecy. I mean, God's hand of favor is clearly upon this man's life. And yet he gives us the window, doesn't he, into his reality. And what does he say? Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to make a difference in this world that echoes for all eternity? Do you want to serve Jesus? And be part of the rebuild. You need to appreciate that that's dangerous. Christianity, following Jesus, is not a life of comfort and ease, it's challenging. And you will take hits. And I say that as someone who learned this quite late in the game. Um, I was uh, 27. Uh, when God called me to, to help, you know, plant a church, pioneer something new, and next to following Jesus and marrying my wife, best decision um, ever made. And it just blows my mind to think about all the Lord has done. Um, when you think about uh, churches being planted and um, incredible relationships and friendships that I have in this community, when I think about hundreds of people uh, who found Jesus? Found them. They've been saved. They've gone from death to life. I mean, incredibly encouraging uh, to see. But as I'm sure you know, ministry is um, well. It's far from rainbows and lollipops. Uh, one of the things I've noticed um, as being a pastor is that you become uh, subject to a lot of conjecture and opinion. Um, people uh, like to talk about you, and um, sometimes that can be great. Uh, because they want to say nice things, and they have, you know, positive uh, views, and then sometimes they don't. Um, uh, early this year, um, I was at Ax- Axel Coffee, um, just down here, after the morning service. It was a great morning, I think it was February, the sun was out, services were starting to come back together, I was having a coffee, and uh, I-, I saw, out of the corner of my eye, like a hundred uh, or so uh, nude cyclists go through the city. Did anyone see this? Yeah. All right, <laughs> I'm like, is this like a Genesis 1 church parade or like, what is this? Um, turns out some, I don't know, parade for something. There's always a parade in Melbourne. I found it hilarious personally and uh, um, I decided to post something on social media. I found it that exciting. Uh, here's, the, here's the post. Uh, Just saw about 100 nude cyclists riding down La Trobe Street through the heart of the city. I have no idea why they were cycling nude, but I can confirm that no one was wearing a mask. Regardless of how we thank you, yeah. regardless of how we might feel of nude writing, it was a good sign that life is returning to our great slash crazy city. Um, yeah, lots of nice comments, jokes, whatever. What could possibly go wrong with a post like this? <laughs> <laughs> Two days later, um, uh, I get tagged. We you get tagged as a pastor in a post. It's always oh, and uh, I discover that another pastor north of the border um, was on. Was having was having a, was having a uh, no, let's not say. that. Anyway, was making some comments on uh, Christianity at large, and uh, he was he was railing against Tim Keller and ranting against Mark Driscoll. Then he was ranting against the tyranny of our government, and I'm like, whoa, this is and it was all building at like six points that landed escalated his big crescendo was me. <laughs> And then we have one of the most, influ- which is quite nice, the most influ- influential pastors in Australia, voluntarily photographed, actually it wasn't my photo, it came from the age, whatever, and post a picture of naked pervert males who, has, who have exposed themselves to women and children publicly, to his public social media profile, glibly commenting that Melbourne is back to normal. And it's all laugh reactions and silly comments. <clears throat> let the public record show I'm not laughing it off naked pervs riding bites in public is expected of godless men but not a camera photo of it from a pastor in my tribe Guy Mason this is one of the gayest things I've seen a reformed evangelical pastor post welcome to ministry now i be honest. I don't lose sleep over something like that I must confess but it is a reminder that being in ministry and leadership in church it's not a straight line right throughout my years I've I've we've I've had to navigate a bunch of little left right hooks uh, venues closing last minute uh, news that we're behind budget news of disgruntled members and gossip news that a person you baptized 6 months ago is now no longer following Jesus, news of miscarriage, news of divorce, news of, of, of cancer, news of, of death, uh, news of people you really love and appreciate telling you that they're leaving the church, news of people that drive you nuts telling you they're staying at the church, <laughs> news of people's sin, news of my own sin, right? A good friend once said, Leadership is like the Lord of the Rings. The orcs keep coming. Right? And and I say that not only as a little like a look back to the past, but just in preparation for what's ahead. Do you think... I was going to look at that banner. That one's gone. Do you think the evil one likes a large church getting together, talking about rebuilding God's kingdom? No. (laughs) Do you think... Do you think he's cool with the fact that you're here to celebrate Jesus? Come on. That's time we got some Pentecostals in here. <laughs> right? The orcs are gonna keep coming. Gonna want to challenge you and push you back. Discourage you in your faith. Discourage us as a church. Gonna keep coming. Look then to verse 10, these arrows are coming and Nehemiah says in Judah it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, there is too much rubble, by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall and our enemy said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time the Jews who lived near near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times you must return to us. So it appears that at this stage, Nehemiah is relatively composed, but the people and their energy and their morale is starting to, to fail. The task is now looking too big. They're feeling weak. They're afraid of their enemies. They don't want to die. They're living under the fear of that. And then the, like the, the, the other hit is their own family members who mean well, who are telling them, you've got to come home. This is all too much. You don't need to go through. It's time to give up. Right? And so they're afraid and they're tempted at this point to throw in the towel. And some of you know this pressure, don't you? Because I suspect that somewhere in your life as a believer, you you prayed a prayer and said, I want to make a difference. And you said, I want to build a life that Jesus is at the center of it. And maybe that was, I don't know, uh, you know, raising a family where where God would be glorified or or working in your business in such a way that the light of the gospel could be shine or or, or being an ambassador for Jesus in the university or like we, God gives us, doesn't he dreams on our heart to make a difference and yet we take a hit and then we take another hit. And then even well-meaning people in our life say, I think it's all a bit too much. That's a hard place to be when you're just hanging on. It's a hard place to be. But I've come to realize that when it comes to your life and God's purpose, it is the hard moments that matter most. Hard times produce character. Hard times inspire dependence. Hard times reveal new things about yourself that you never knew, and knew things about your God. I've been a pastor now for almost 15 years. I've met so many wonderful, wonderful people. And I can tell you, I've never met anyone who has a depth of character without a story of pain. And I've never met anybody who has done anything of significance and worth and meaning without taking their fair share of hits. This is why I'm convinced, City on a Hill, that one of the number one traits you can have is the skill of not giving up. Don't give up on the gifting God has given you. Don't give up on the vision He has placed on your heart Don't give up on the friends in your life. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on the church and the mission that God has for you. And please, for the love of God, don't give up on Jesus. Because he ain't giving up on you. He has you. He holds you. He is working all things for your good and for his glory. Is life hard? Will there be times where your back is against the ropes, where your legs are feeling weak and tired? Absolutely. The question is not, will you take some hits? The question is, what will you do when they come? Will you give up and let this moment, this one opportunity pass or will you get in the ring and keep going? Let's look at this final section. Nehemiah responds to their concerns. We're told that in the lower parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans and with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Right, so the first thing that Nehemiah does is he brings the people together. He organizes them in clans and he stations them in groups. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to be isolated. He doesn't want anyone to be alone. That's what the enemy wants to do. Divide, confuse, scatter, isolate you. Nehemiah says, no, no, we've got to do this together. You're going to need men and women by your side, fighting for you, protecting you, praying for you, encouraging you, calling you to keep going. It's why at church, at City on a Hill, we're committed, we're passionate about gospel communities and serving in teams, doing life together. It's not just because we want to fill people's diaries. It's because we believe fundamentally we're made for relationships, I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. I need your correction. When my morale is low, I need you to call me forward. And there are going to be times where I can call you forward and encourage you and and, and pray for you. So don't resist community. Lean into it. Be part of it. Recognize that a community has something to offer you and you have something to offer them. Right, this is one of the most helpful, well a helpful way to combat some of the opposition that you're gonna face. Nehemiah stations people in groups. Not only that, what does he do? He arms them with spears and swords. On your way out today, we've got swords for you. <laughs> right now, we don't. Uh, maybe free coffee. That's probably about it. Why? <laughs> right? We've got to think about that moment in salvation. Why? Because we know now that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the powers and principalities that reign. So we're not handing out real swords today. But that does not mean you don't armor up. God says, Ephesians 6, take a hold of the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. You need a sword. In fact, we see in Nehemiah the work of two hands, don't we? That if you're a Christian... In one hand, you take the bricks to build and help establish God's kingdom. In other words, you need to be using your gifts, you need to be using your resources, you need to be using your mind, you've got to be using your creativity to build. That as you pray, that as you evangelize, as you serve, you're establishing a brick in the advancing of God's kingdom. That's what we do with this hand, but with this hand we hold a sword. Because we don't need to build things, we need to protect things. The word in your life got to take hold of it because it's the word that cuts through isn't it the enemy's deceit it's the word that pushes back pushes back his lies and it's the word that protects all that God is doing finally as the band comes up uh, this may just be one of my favorite lines in scripture probably say that too often but I love this Nehemiah lifts up his eyes, uh, helps them lift up their eyes to God and see the significance of this work. Look at this. He says, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Do not we all have concerns. He says, Do not be afraid. Why? Because you serve and know a great and awesome God. Sometimes when we think about the spiritual battle, we we imagine two equal and opposite forces coming together. Theologically, people talk as dualism. But actually, that's not a biblical revelation of how God and evil work. The enemy is small and subservient to the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over all. He is ruling and reigning. He is great and he is awesome. That's why you imagine, uh, you've seen the opening clip in the movie, The Passion. Here's Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. The the serpent uh, slithers on past him, seeking to, to deceive. And what does Jesus do? He gets to his feet and puts his heel into his head. Jesus defeated the evil one in the wilderness. Defeats him ultimately, doesn't he? On the cross, disarms him, raising up in victory and life. This is why Paul could keep going. Remember what he said? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We stand in the security of God's victory. You're going to take hits, but we keep going. Christianity is not easy. It's tough. Sometimes you walk forward and it feels easy and right. Sometimes it's just uphill, but you keep going because we serve a great and awesome God. And we know the significance. You might want to underscore this very final last verse. It says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What's he doing? He's reminding them that as they build this wall, And as they defend the city, they fight for something far greater than themselves. That when you serve, when you lead, when you love, when you pray, you do so as a Christian for for more than yourself. This is not just about the wall. This is not just about the city. Nehemiah is saying, think of the generations. Think of the eternal impact. Right, it's that selfless sacrificial love that that gets to the real heart of what we believe i think of william wilberforce you know god sends him doesn't he to lead the abolition of the slave trade to build the broken walls of an unjust political system and he goes in to fight doesn't he and it wasn't easy 21 year battle with one hit after the next his life was threatened his family was threatened but he didn't give up. He didn't give in because he knew that he was fighting for something far greater than himself. Think of Jesus sitting on a hill. See him now. Didn't remain in the comfort of heaven, but came to us. The word made flesh. And we rejected him. People spat on him. He was beaten. He was bruised. His His life was, but Jesus never gave up. Jesus didn't give in. He remembered God is great and awesome. And he knew that through his life and through his death, he would bring about the salvation of so, so, so many. We are here because of Jesus. If you're not yet a believer in Christ, I encourage you, to follow Him today, to stop living under the lies of the evil one and to see where true victory belongs, to take hold of the salvation that is yours in Christ. If you want to know how to take that first step, come and chat to one of the people up the front for prayer. Come and chat to Steph, me, Ben. We'd love to help you on that journey, knowing that many people are giving their life to Jesus and now is the time. And if you are in Christ, may you arise and build. May you take hold of the gifts that God has given you. May you see the vision, the significance of what we are about and take hold of that, trusting Jesus, knowing that there's victory in his name. I'm gonna give you a few moments wherever you are right now, just to pray. Not just to pray, to pray. Take a moment to pray, to commit what you've heard, commit yourself to the Lord, and then Dave and the band's going to lead us in worship.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.